I, I got news for you. Um, June 8th, 2024, it's a big day. It's already marked on my calendar. June 8th, 2024, I graduate with my doctorate, y'all. Right? I'm going to be Dr. Manny Arango. And I told you that on purpose with no context. I told you that with no context because I knew that if I didn't give you context, all I would get was golf claps. Now I'm going to back, back, back it up, and I'm going to give you some context. Here's a context. For those of you who have heard me preach a lot, you know this context, but there's a lot of new people in the church, and the church is growing, so I'm going to give you some context, okay? My father uh, was an immigrant to this country, spent 18 years in prison in Cuba, immigrated to this country, uh, got hooked up with the wrong crowd, started selling drugs and started using drugs, took me to a crack house for the first time when I was five years old. It was not the last time. It was not the only time. My mother uh, was pregnant with my older sister at 12 years old, was pregnant again with my older brother at 14 years old. All three of my aunts are prostitutes. All five of my uncles are alcoholics. My grandmama still sell cocaine out of an ice cream truck in Miami to this day, okay? Uh, I'm the first Arango to get a bachelor's degree. I'm the first Arango to get a master's degree. On June 8th, 2024, I'll be the first Arango with a doctorate. I'm the I'm the first Arango to own property. I'm the first Arango to be in a functional marital relationship. I'm the first Arango to have kids after marriage, not before marriage. Oh, I'm the first Arango to break generational curses and strongholds in my family. Because who the sun sets free is free indeed. And you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. There is no curse stronger than the blood of Jesus. I need a good amen in church this morning. You see how once I gave you context, no longer did you give me cute golf claps, you got up off your feet. Because you realize that me getting my doctorate is not just me going to school and passing some exams and turning to some papers, but it's taking authority over a curse that wanted to claim my family. The key in understanding the content of what I had to say to you was me actually revealing the context to you. I wonder if there's anybody who's ever been frustrated that you got taken out of context. Come on, come on. Anybody ever told somebody about something you said and then it kind of got back to you, right? Come on, the gossip loop, it always gets back, right? And, and, and when you heard what you said, you wanted to tell the person, they, they told you what I said, but they didn't tell you why I said it, where I said it, what prompted me to say it, they gave you no And anybody can sound like a monster if you take them out of context. And it's funny, I went viral recently, and going viral is like the worst thing that could ever happen to you on Beyonce's internet because, uh, 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 because uh, you, you people, we are currently living in a culture of clips and comments, not context. And, and I was at a church in Columbia, South Carolina, and I was preaching at a good friend's church, and I was talking about time. And I was saying that time is a seed, okay? And, and I was really talking to the fellas in the room, all the guys in the room, and I was saying, hey, you got to make sure that you manage this seed called time really, really well, because you don't just reap what you sow, you reap where you sow, and you reap after you sow, and you reap more than you sow, so you can't sow all of your time at work and thinking you're going to reap a harvest at your house with your wife and your kids. It don't work that way, okay? I was talking about time and how seed is a time, and then we took the clip, but the way that the clip got cut up, you know, there was no context, and so all of these know-it-alls on the internet, look at this prosperity gospel preacher, 
talking about seed. I bet you he took up an offering after this sermon. I can't believe this, dude. And I wanted to grab my phone, record another reel. Like, you thumb thugs, <laughs> you don't know nothing. <laughs> Say it to my face, you know what I'm saying? Like, none of the people who wanted to go in the comments and go to war with me took the time to go find the actual YouTube video to get context. Context. Context changes everything. Ta context would have let them know I wasn't talking about money at all. And not only was it not going to take up an offering, I wasn't even at my own church. Context. We are living in a world that wants to take clips out of context and comment on everything with no context. Because I don't know, your social media has convinced all of us that we know way more information than we actually do. Anyway, context, context, context. It's funny. It, I've been taken out of context. You've been taken out of context. But there's one person who's been taken out of context more than anybody. God gets taken out of context all the time. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me at my yoga class. <laughs> just plucking verses and just using them for whatever you want to use it for. Just get, taking stuff out of context. Taking stuff out of context. My favorite thing to do is to tell people, uh, you, you know, like you do realize that the Bible can't just speak for itself. And if you just read the Bible with no context, you'll find all kinds of stuff in the Bible that would actually deter you from even wanting a relationship with God. If you read the Bible with no context, the Bible says slavery is okay. And as an African-American, woo, that's a little uncomfortable for me. And I have to get some context to learn that slavery in the first century is very, very different than American chattel slavery in, in the 20th, 20th century. That context actually makes the difference between what I'm reading and whether or not it's going to make sense or whether or not it's going to confuse me. Context, context, context. It's funny because in the book of 1 Timothy, this is a great place where Jesus, God loves, ooh, people just love taking God out of context because Paul writes to a young pastor named Timothy and he's like, don't let them women talk. Please tell them women to be quiet. You know what I'm saying? And and but 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 he says, hey, um, don't 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 allow the women to teach. And with no context, it sounds like Paul is just straight out of 1948. You know what I'm saying? Like Paul, what you got? Why, why you got a problem with the women? You know what I'm saying? But guess what? When we get some. We realize that Paul is talking to a young man by the name of Timothy. Timothy lives in a city known as Ephesus. Ephesus is known as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world because it's home to a thing called the Artemisium. What is the Artemisium, you ask? Oh, it is the creation museum. It is the temple to the goddess of Artemis. Artemis was the goddess of fertility, chastity, and childbearing. You couldn't be a man and teach at the temple of Artemis. Oh, no. You had to be a woman to teach at the temple of Artemis. And the temple of Artemis believed that not only did you have to be a woman, but that women were created first, then men. They also believed that if you were going to show your allegiance to Artemis, that you had to have your hair braided in a very, very particular pattern. And 
And we know that Artemis went after the wealthy women. She went after the high status women because when Paul tells Timothy to get these women in check, he tells them not to wear fine gold jewelry and not to have their hair braided, but to actually learn in submission. It's funny because these women who were coming from the Artemisium and now joining Timothy's church, they were teaching the heresy that they learned at the Artemisium. So Paul, Al, Paul in the book of Timothy says, oh, 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 man was created first, then woman. And then Paul gets into some details that he says, let them know they're going to be saved through childbearing. And we're back at, oh, Paul, this sounds like 1943 again. Why why are you saying they're going to be saved during childbearing? Well, here we go. Some context. Artemis was the goddess of what? Childbearing, fertility, and chastity, which means that these women for their entire life believed that it was the goddess named Artemis that kept them safe while they were on the birthing table. That while they were giving birth to children, it was Artemis that was guarding over them because mortality rates in the first century were astronomical for women who were giving birth to children. And these women who had come from the Artemisium and now are at Timothy's church are not having sex with their husbands. They are scared to get pregnant because they think Artemis is going to have vengeance on them and kill them while they are giving birth to children. And so what looks like a passage to repress women is actually there to liberate women. And without context, we'll create entire denominations. And now your church hurt, not because the Bible said something offensive, but because a pastor said something who didn't go to seminary in the first place. And now you mad that Paul, I can't believe Paul don't believe women should preach, but you never picked up the Bible to understand it for yourself. Context. You see how with context, telling these women don't have your hair braided changes everything. Because when I was a youth pastor, we, I was in the South. I was in North Carolina. Fraternities and sororities were a big thing. And I used to tell all my youth leaders, hey, 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 you can't wear your lettermans. You can't wear your jackets. You can't wear, I don't, I'm, we not promoting sororities and fraternities here. It's not that the sorority or fraternity is an issue, but if I platform you as a leader, every, the, children, the kids are gonna think that everything I market, everything you market, I'm marketing. So I just need you to leave the Greek letters at home when you come to church. When Paul tells them not to braid their hair, he ain't coming for my black sisters with box braids. No, 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 no. He's coming for a pledge of allegiance. He's saying, if you are now belonging to Jesus, your hairstyle that you used to have at the temple of Artemis is now confusing people, and they can't tell whether or not you're still allegiant to Artemis, which is a goddess, which is an idol, which is a demonic spirit, or whether or not you have been washed by the blood and are committed to this new thing called Christianity. Context. Context. You see how the Bible out of context, you offended. The Bible in context, you're like, I can rock with that. Paul actually, one other time, he tells a whole another group of women to be quiet. He loved telling women to be quiet. But these women live in Corinth. And to these women, he says, hey, 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 don't, don't stop the preacher while he's preaching to ask, you know, questions. How about this? Ask your husband at home all of your questions, which in, in church, when we read that today, all the women are like uh, kind of offended. But in the first century, guess which group would have been upset? The men. Because... These are not high-status women like the women in Ephesus. These are poor women, which is why they're illiterate and uneducated. 
different contexts. You see how to one church in Corinth, Paul says one thing, and to another church in Ephesus, he says another thing, which is the same as me saying one thing to a church in Memphis and a different thing to a church in Las Vegas because we are real pastors dealing with real people with real context and real situations. And Paul is no different. And it's funny because the average age of a man in the first century who would have gotten married was 30 to 35, and the average woman would have been 12 to 15. And he had a vested interest in keeping that girl ignorant and illiterate. So when Paul writes to the Corinthians and says, hey, teach your wife the Bible at home, every man would have went home like, God dang, I can't keep her ignorant. She's now going to know how to look at the books. She's going to now know how to get into my business. She's going to be able to read my DMs. She's going to know if I'm stepping out. I don't want to educate my wife. But Paul says you will not be worldly husbands if you are going to be godly men then you are going to love her like Christ loves the church, which is not to repress, but to liberate. Can't you see how context changes everything? Everything. And so today we're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 17, and we're going to put this famous passage of scripture into context. 1 Samuel chapter 17 is this iconic moment where David defeats a giant by the name of Oh, David goes from anonymity into popularity. He goes from being a shepherd into being ushered into the throne and, and to become king. He goes, this is the iconic moment of his life in 1 Samuel chapter 17, but without context, we'll actually make it about the wrong thing. So we've got to back, back, back up. We've got to back this up four chapters and go to 1 Samuel chapter 13 in order to get context for the battle between David and Goliath. You've probably heard uh, David and Goliath preached a whole lot, but I don't know if you've heard it preached in. Come on, black people, let's go. I'm black, so I need y'all to holler back at me, okay? Uh, and uh, I don't know. Uh, when I say black people, I mean like if you physically black or you feel it. I don't care if you black on the outside, black on the inside, we all black today, okay? Um, but I always love to tell people, it's, it's you know, it's Cinderella black, so but you got till midnight. <laughs> and then tomorrow you're gonna wake up as whatever you woke up as today. But we just need you to be black so you have energy at church. You know what I'm saying? Uh, <laughs> okay, come on, come on. Y'all distracting me. First Samuel chapter 13. First Samuel chapter 13. And we're gonna get context for First Samuel chapter 17. If we actually do our job in 1 Samuel chapter 13, it'll set us up to understand 1 Samuel chapter 17. And I'm teaching you how to actually study the Bible right now that you can't just pluck verses, but you have to put them in the context of the chapter that they're in, of the book that they're in. Come on. You came to church at 845. You came for this. <laughs> These other services, we'll see what we're going to do. But 845 Christians, you can handle this. Come on. Uh, let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 13. And if there's a word that I don't say, you can say the word that I don't say. 1 Samuel chapter 13. Uh, we're going to start reading in verse 19. It says this, not a could be found in the whole land of because the who? Because the Philistines, or the Philistines, 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 I love them both, had said, otherwise the Hebrews will make swords or spears. So, so the Philistines are not content to simply uh, defeat the people of Israel. They are now disarming the people of Israel. They are taking away swords, spears, blacksmiths, weapons, because don't get this twisted. The enemy is not content to simply defeat you. He 100% wants to disarm you. 
That is why worship and praise is so important. Oh, all the Pharisees, you are dismissed. But for the real people who have been defeated by some anger and defeated by some lust and defeated by some anxiety, I want to let you know, you may not be able to control whether your flesh defeated you, but you can control whether or not the enemy disarms you. And in the middle of defeat, the enemy covers me with shame so that I walk into his presence and now I don't want to lift my hands and I don't want to sing because the enemy keeps reminding me of my past. But every time the enemy reminds me of my past, I'll remind him of his future. He is a defeated foe. He is a toothless lion and he is under my feet. I need a good amen in God's house this morning. He may have defeated me, but he will not disarm me. Oh, baby, I am armed and dangerous. The weapons of warfare that I use are not carnal, but they are powerful for the pulling down of strongholds. I am armed and dangerous. I've got to worship. I've got to praise. And baby, you don't, the enemy don't want to mess with me. Defeated but not disarmed. Defeated but not disarmed. Defeated but not disarmed. I need that to be your mantra. I may have been defeated, but I will not be disarmed. Because the angels can sing way better than you. Come on. Can sing better and longer and louder. They can sing in octaves you ain't even heard. But no angel can worship better than me. They can sing better than me, but they can't worship better than me. They can't worship better than me because they've never worshiped for the blood of Jesus. They've never worshiped for grace. They've never worshiped for mercy. They've never worshiped for a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance. The first time an angel sinned, God kicked him to hell. So you sinned and God gave you the blood of Jesus. So I don't worship based on the, the greatness of my voice. I worship because of the sincerity of my heart. I may have been defeated by some sin or some flesh or some weakness, but I will not be disarmed. I will come into God's presence and approach his throne of grace with boldness to find what I need in my time of need. Okay, come on. Okay, come on. I got ADHD. Stop distracting me. It says this, verse 20. So all Israel went down to the Philistines to have their plow points, mattocks, axes, and sickles sharpened. They don't even trust them with farm tools. The price was two-thirds of a shekel for sharpening plow points and mattocks and a third of a shekel for sharpening forks and axes and for repointing goats. Verse 22. So on the day of the... Ooh, on the day of the... Not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a... Or... In his hand. Only Saul and his son Jonathan had them. You have a nation of hundreds of thousands of people. You have a nation of tens of thousands of soldiers. And the only two people in the whole nation who have weapons is Saul and his son, Jonathan. I wonder if there's anybody who's felt defenseless in their life. Like they've grown up in a generation with no swords. There was a dad that was supposed to protect you. There were some men in your community that was supposed to protect you. And people let their guard down. And you got molested at an early age or abused at an early age. Or like me, taken to a crack house at an early age. And like David, you have grown up in a generation with no swords and no spears. You have grown up in a generation looking for weapons. You have grown up in a generation knowing the Philistines have weapons, but we don't. 
You've grown up envying other people's weapons. You've grown up wishing you had the dad they had and wishing you had the family they had and wishing you had the generational wealth they had. But baby, this man named David gets to a battlefield one day. And I'm going to tell you my title. And it's not just a title. I believe it's a prophetic declaration. And we would never get this prophetic declaration without the context of 1 Samuel chapter 13. He gets the first chapter, chapter 17, and Goliath is taunting the people of Israel. And here's what I think David said. I think David gets to the battlefield, and he sees Goliath, and here's what I think he says. Here's my title. I see my sword. I see my sword. I've heard about swords. I've seen Saul's sword. I've seen Jonathan's sword. I've wanted one of those my whole life. And I've got so much faith that I no longer see giants. I see swords. I don't see obstacles. I see opportunities. I don't see problems. I see that this problem is here to deliver a new weapon into my life. I want to know who I'm preaching to on this Sunday morning that you've been seeing giants your whole life. But we declare today that the giant of anxiety is holding the sword of your peace, that the giant of depression is holding the sword of your joy, that the giant of infertility is holding the sword of your legacy, that you are not going to go into 2024 looking at all the problems, looking at all the giants. But you are going to march in a 2024 saying, I see the sword that God has for me. I see the weapon that God has for me. I see the new thing. Because when God is tired of you and throwing rocks at people, he's not going to Amazon prime a sword to your house. He's going to send a giant into your life. You have to have enough faith to understand that giants is God's delivery system for new artillery and new weapons. Are you going to see the giant or are you going to see the sword that he wants to bring into your life? I love this. I love that David, I can see him on the sidelines just going, I see it. 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 And everybody around is going, yeah, bro, we see it too. Hard to miss, man. It's 10 feet tall. We see Goliath. And he goes, no, 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 no. If I had borrowed Saul's sword, I would have had to give it back to him. If I had borrowed Saul's armor, I would have had to give it back. There are some battles that I have to go through on my own because I'm tired of using the weapons I have. I've got to use the weapon I have to get the weapon that I need. Oh, I want to preach that over somebody's life today. You got to use the weapon that you have to get the weapon that you need. If this this story was really about giants, then, then we would have more stories of David using a sling and a stone. But there are no more stories in the Bible of David using a sling and a stone. Once he gets a sword, he's done throwing rocks at people. Done. 
This whole story is not about a man with the boldness to attack a giant. It's not about a giant at all. This whole story is actually about a man who just goes, I see my next weapon. It's funny. It's funny because, you know, I, I'm a sneakerhead. I like kicks. And um, my wife thinks that that's a problem, but th that's a whole nother situation. <laughs> I'm a sneakerhead. And so one time, you know, this is way before we was flying to go to speaking engagements. We, we was driving. And we drove from North Carolina to South Carolina. It was like a five-hour drive. I had to go preach somewhere. And I'm an extrovert. I talked to people way too long. So by the time we left this church, it was like midnight. <laughs> and we had to drive back to the night, back to North Carolina. And we stopped at this sketchy gas station uh, on the way. And, you know, I like to rock dope sneakers. And I didn't have context for the fact that maybe you shouldn't wear designer sneakers in the backwoods of South Carolina. <laughs> at three o'clock in the morning, you know? And so we stopped to get gas. Um, and, and it's always, you know, context clues, always, you know, not reassuring when people just wearing, you know, those shirts that start with wife and end with beater, <laughs> like out in public at the gas station at three o'clock in the morning and it got holes in it. Like why I got holes in it, you know what I'm saying? And so I, I go to get some Gatorade and some gummy worms in a little quickie mart. And my, my dude was like, I like them shoes. <laughs> and I, something told me, this, this is not a compliment. <laughs> Context told me um, he is not complimenting your shoe game. You know what I'm saying? And then his next question um, made it real clear. He was like, what size are those? <laughs> um, and this is why, this is why... Um, um, we travel with guns. <laughs> at that point, my armor bearer approached and was like, what size is this? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And he was like, never mind, yo, never mind, never mind. And, and, and he, he approached me. He didn't see, he didn't see me. He just, he just saw what he wanted. I need you to approach some giants next year. Nice sword, bro. <laughs> What size sword is that? <laughs> I need you to walk up to fear and go, hey, you're holding the sword of my faith. I, I need you to use what you have to get the weapon that you need. This is what I call resourceful. This is the inner entrepreneur in me. There's so many people who want to complain about what they don't have, but they're not even using what they do have to get what they want to have. You've got to use what you've got. When we started this platform called Arma, all I had was a janky camera and two kids from a youth group that would do anything I told them to do. And so we started this thing in my garage in 2020 because hundreds of young adults were deconstructing at our church and I wanted to teach them context. The biggest hurdle was convincing my wife that she couldn't park in the garage no more. <laughs> we started this platform in 2020. Took us years to even crack 1,000 people. Started this year with 1,064 people with one camera in a garage with 1,000 people paying us $13 a month. And today, that platform has over 3,500 people on the platform, all paying $13 a month 
grossing about $40,000 a month, all teaching people context of scripture because I used what I had. We were in the middle of a pandemic. I could complain that all the speaking engagements is gone. I could complain that I couldn't get on airplanes. I could complain about the sword that I didn't have. Or I could get my five rocks and my slingshot and use what I got to get what I need. I may not have all the money that I need, but I got a hallelujah and a thank you, Jesus. And I'll use the weapon I have in order to get the weapon that I need. I may not have joy today, but baby, I've got a heart of praise. And I'll use the weapon that I have to get the weapon that I need because I understand how the world works. David doesn't discount the accuracy and the power of the slingshot just because he wants the sword. He leverages what he has. Can I ask you a hard question? What do you have right now? I know seasonal depression is on an all-time high. I know there are people you don't want to be. I get it. I know what you don't have. I hear the complaints. I get, I got you. I got you. But what do you got? You got two fish and five loaves? Because if you got that, woo! If you put that in the right hands, God will multiply it. He'll break it, and it'll be more than enough. Of course you can complain about what you don't got. David. Love David's heart. Because David uses this slingshot, and he hurls this stone at Goliath's face. And the Bible says that it comes at Goliath, and Goliath falls face down. Now, this is fascinating. Because I don't know if you've ever been in science class, like in eighth grade. You learn that um, if, if something's coming at your face, and theologians and Bible scholars say that this slingshot in this stone would have been the equivalent of a major league baseball player throwing a baseball at somebody's face at 95 miles an hour. I don't know about you, but just me, just, just the math ain't mathing. Because David gets hit in the forehead and falls face down. That don't make no sense. Goliath gets hit in the forehead and, and falls face down. Goliath should have fallen backwards. But instead of falling backwards, Goliath falls forward. Because anybody can make a giant fall. Only a worshiper can make a giant worship. Just want my giant to fall. I want every knee to bow and every tongue to declare that Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. God, this battle is not between me and this giant. Oh no, it's between you and this giant. And depression will bow, anxiety will bow, fear will bow at the matchless name of Jesus Christ. I'm going to live my life in such a way that I'm not consumed with my goals, but his glory. I don't want you to go into the new year with a bunch of goals. How about you go into the new year saying, as long as God gets glory, that's all I care about. Five minutes left. You hearing a word from the Lord today? Me and my wife, we walked through five years of infertility. Doctors told us we would never get pregnant. Doctors told us to adopt. Is there a picture of my family? I, I don't, I didn't, there we go. 
My son is two and a half years old. He's our little miracle. Doctors told us we would never get pregnant. And uh, I remember I made a win-win with the Lord. You know, so often we create a win-lose. If this happens, then I'll be happy. And if this happens, I'll be depressed. That's a win-loss. If this happens, oh man, God, I'll, I'll praise you and I'll glorify you and man, I'll sing real loud. But if this happens, ooh, I'm gonna sink into the valley of depression. I'm gonna feel bad about myself and I'm gonna get in my head. No, 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 you gotta create a win-win. Here's a win-win. God, if we get pregnant, I'll get on every stage for the rest of my life and tell everybody about how you did it. If we never get pregnant, I'll be an 85-year-old preacher still telling people we're about to get pregnant. Either way, you're going to be glorified. Either way, doesn't matter what the enemy does, God, I'm going to glorify you. Because I believe this. God, if I take care of your praise, you'll take care of my problems. God, if you, if I take care of your glory, you'll take care of my giant. I want to ask you a hard question today. Who's been focusing on giants when really you need to get the eyes of faith open on the inside of you so that you can start focusing on swords? Come on, wave at me if that's you. Who's been, you've been looking at the giant. I'm not saying the giant doesn't exist. I'm just saying that what the enemy means for evil God can bring it into your life for your good and for his glory. I'm not telling you to be delusional. Act like the giant's not there. The giant's there. But could it be that it's there serving God's purpose for you in your life in this season?